right, since we're in close court, you got to hug somebody's neck and let them know you're thankful that they're here. There we go. Get that love. Get some love in the room. There's love everywhere. There's love everywhere. This is a virtual hug to everyone that's watching online. So, uh, man, oh, man, that was awesome. I'm thankful for that last song. I, I, man, I ain't going to lie to you. It's about to go crazy. I need a tambourine. I was about to lose it. So it was good times. I love it. That was an awesome, awesome, awesome worship. And it's perfect for what we're walking through uh, over these next few weeks, I'm so thankful that we get to be here, uh, that we get to hang out here. Last week we talked about it, just to go ahead and catch everyone up, we talked about laying the foundation of where we're going over these next few weeks. We said that we had to be built on the rock. We talked about the two two, two houses, one built on sand and, and one built on the rock, and how that foundation to live the life to be all God created us to be was built on loving God and loving others. And we talked about standing with each other, and it's actually laying the groundwork for what we're doing over these next few weeks in this brand new series called Level Up, because that's what we're actually going to do. We're going to level up in our relationship with Christ. We're going to level up in our growth in Christ. We're going to level up everything that we're doing. So, uh, for Jesus' name. So that being said, uh, obviously we talked about mountains today. We're going to walk through some mountains, all of us, all the way through. Uh, and the, the beauty is over these next few weeks also with that, we're going to be talking about the songs of a sense. Not sense not sense and like sense because I ain't got none. Uh, a sense. So going up, and we're going to talk about what those mean and how those relate to leveling up and our relationship with Jesus. So if you've got your Bible today, uh, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians to start, 2 Corinthians 1. And we're also going to be in Psalm 120 and Psalm 121. Those are the two that we're going to be hanging out with today. Uh, so if you want to go ahead and get there in your Bible, if you would like one, we have them free for the asking in the back. Or if you'd like to follow along with us virtually, we have a way you can do that. Hang in here if it's your millionth time hearing this because it's someone's first time. You can follow along with us on the Bible app. So I'm going to show you how you can do that. If you want to download the Bible app from your favorite app store, wherever that may be, go ahead and download that. And after you download that, go ahead and click on the more tab. <clears throat> Once you click on the more tab, you're going to click on events. Now make sure your location services are on, and when you do that, you're going to see the Vine TV worship experience. Today, you're going to see the title of today's message, which I'm excited about, Punch Out. Uh, when you click on that, uh, when you click on that, you're going to see all the scripture we're going to walk through, a place where you can take notes, but more importantly, we say this all the time, we celebrate next steps. We're going to have a place where you can reach out to us throughout the week, because all of us face Monday, all of us face Wednesday. And so maybe you're not here with us on Sunday and you need someone to talk to or pray with you throughout the week. Go ahead and click on that. It'll have our phone number. It'll have the email address that you can reach out to us and other ways that you can connect with us throughout the week. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and get to 2 Corinthians 1. And throughout these, this series, we're going to have a little bit of fun. I know you may not like having fun at church, but we're going to have some fun at church. All right? So over these next few weeks, we're going to be bringing you back uh, to some times that you remember. So the thing that I remember the most as I go through this series is I'm going to start out with the Nintendo gaming system. How many folks ever had an original, like NES? Like I remember when I got mine, I was five years old. It was 1989. It was a, it was a cool summer. I don't know. I don't know what it was, but I just remember that it was in 1980. I was five years old. I got it, okay? I remember getting one, and my cousin, who was 10 days younger than me, got one as well. Many fights over who won all the games. We never did because we ended up shutting the console da down because we thought it was conspiring against us every time we lost, right? And the two games that you always started out with were what? Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt, right? Like those were the two that you started out with and you, you would spend countless hours of that and get made fun of by the little dog jumping up and down, you know. Maybe we'll, do maybe we'll walk into that at some time later. But today one of the games that I didn't own 
but you may know if you didn't have an NES is Punch-Out. So here's if you didn't have a Nintendo system where you could have played Punch-Out. How many folks went to the skating rink here? We're a skating crowd, y'all. Oh, we had the skating. Maybe that's what we should do on Sundays, just skate. That would be great. We'll do it. Uh, get it on the calendar. So uh, the skating rink here, they have this arcade game called Punch-Out. And that's how it started was this game called Punch-Out. So let me tell you a little bit about Punch-Out. Punch-Out is a boxing game, obviously. Uh, Maybe not if it was something else, if it was a working game, a factory game, that would be real stinky to call it punch out and punch in and punch out, right? That would be stinky. But it's a boxing game, and what ends up happening is you have this character, and I believe his name's Little Mac, I'm not sure, but anyway, you have this character from the Bronx, and he goes through all of these opponents. It's kind of like Rocky-esque, you know what I mean? Like Rocky's what, Philadelphia, rock and roll, getting there, and this is from the Bronx, New York, and this guy, he goes through all of these opponents with all these different names, and he gets to the championship fight. Now, the championship fight for this one, at the time when I, when I played the game in 89, was Mike Tyson. He was the world champion, okay? So, that was the fight you went to. I think in later versions of the game, he was no longer on it, but you had to get to what was called the dream fight, all right? When you got to the dream fight, if you could survive the first 90 seconds, you could win the championship. But you had to survive the first 90 seconds of the championship fight. And what I mean by surviving, what would end up happening is you had to not get punched a lot at all. You had to move around the whole time because every time you get punched, your knockout power would go down. You would get punched out. <laughs> so that being said, you would have to survive that 90 seconds to even have a chance to win the fight. And so when we kick off this series called Level Up, for real, I say this a lot, maybe we're in that fight right now. We feel like that. We feel like we've gone after obstacle after obstacle. We're following Jesus. We're reading our Bible. We're praying. We're, we're praying for others. We're giving. We're doing things. But if we're completely honest, we feel like we're in that 90-second battle, don't we? And we don't know whether we're at second 60 or second 80, but we're just trying not to get hit. And we just want to win this fight. Now, we don't want to get punched out. We don't want to get knocked down. So we're just doing everything we can to not get punched out. And so that's what we're going to talk about today is that 90-second fight. Because in the end, is 90 seconds that a lot, is that a lot of time? Now, playing that game, it felt like hours, didn't it? Hours and hours. And if you played in the arcade, quarters after quarters after quarters after quarters, right? Or sometimes you'd get a free play and you wouldn't tell nobody. I'm just saying, it's confession. So wherever that was, uh, what that looked like for you, we, we, we walked through this punch-out game. So look how great our creative team is, y'all. They got it set up for us. And that's about how you would feel, too, because Little Mac versus the big guy is what ended up happening is it was Little Mac versus the big guy. So that's how it would feel. So sometimes in our life we feel that way. And so that's where I want us to pick up in Corinth is because this is where Paul is. So let me give you some backstory of the Corinthian church. So Paul writes, we know of at least four letters to the church in Corinth. All right, it's the church he started. Uh, he, he went on the missions and, and, and he went there. And what's happening in Corinth at the time is this. Um, inside the church, Paul's character is getting attacked. They're saying that his testimony is false. They don't believe his mission trips are real. And they're telling him that he's not even really an apostle. They're attacking his character inside the Christian, inside of the Corinthian church at the end of 1 Corinthians. I'm so glad that don't happen in the world today now. Crickets, right? Right? That's so funny because sometimes in that punch-out game, we think that the world doesn't operate the same way that it always has, but it does. It just operates in cycles. And so Paul is standing there, and he goes, and in 1 first, in first Corinthians, what ends up happening is all these people are talking all of this, and he's like, man, this is crazy. This is a church I started. It shouldn't be that way. And he goes back, and instead of going on the mission trip, what he does is he decides, I'm going to defend my honor. 
and I'm going to go to the church in Corinth, and I'm going to set the record straight. How do you think that went? punch out like it didn't even happen it wasn't even a good thing at all like he got ran out of the church like when he went to go set the record straight like he could not go back to the church he had to flee from the church I wonder if we have friends that feel that way right now because the church has tried to punch him out instead of walking with them through whatever season they're in I wonder if that's where we could be better as a church that's Another story, another time. But that's where Paul is. And so remember, we know 1 Corinthians 13 is this beautiful love letter. We talk about it at every wedding. We talk about it all the way through. That is in the midst of Paul having to flee from the church because they're attacking his character. They're attacking his testimony. So where we pick up in 2 Corinthians is Paul can't go to the church, so he has to send a letter to the church. So he sends this letter through what could perhaps be Titus, we believe. We, we don't know for sure. It could have been Timothy, but he has to send this letter by proxy. And what he's trying to go to the church before we pick up in verse 8 is he's understanding right now inside the church what happens is they're living in the information age. Oh, that's right. That's what we live in. You see, what was happening in the church is the church was being drowned out and drowned with so much information they forgot they were thirsty for the truth. They didn't want the truth. They instead decided to attack Paul and blame him for all of their problems and blame him for everything that was going on instead of knowing that they were thirsty for the real truth, that is the truth of the gospel, that is Jesus. That's what they were searching for, but instead they were mad at Paul about it because they felt like they were in a punch-out. They felt like they were in a 90-second fight. And if they could just get through the 90 seconds, and then finally they would get to live the life that Jesus called them to live. And Paul's saying it's worth so much more than that. So where we pick up here in, in, in chapter 1, verse 8, is this, where Paul is writing this letter, and he's talking to the church about where they are. Now, if I was writing this letter, y'all, it wouldn't have been published. It definitely probably wouldn't have been in the Bible. Uh, there would have been some more four-letter instances, maybe some strung-along four-letter instances, if you will, because Jesus died for all of my sins. I'm just saying. That's where it was, right? Like, we would have been there, but instead, Paul, in this moment, says, hey, I'm going to set the record straight and, under, and help you understand, church, that in this information age you're in where you're getting drowned out by information, I'm going to point you to the truth. And believe it or not, it's not about Paul saving himself or saving his character. He's pointing them to what they're actually searching for. So here we go. In, in chapter 1, verse 8, it says this. <clears throat> we do not want you to be uninformed. Go ahead and circle that if you've got your Bible, if you're taking notes. Uninformed is how Paul starts this off. Uninformed. And let me tell you what the, the Greek word is there is this. Agneo. A-G-N-E-O. Everybody say that after me. Agneo. Hey, I had one person. One more time. <laughs> Thank you. Say Agneo after me. Agneo. You ever dealt with some people who are agneo? You're like, what does it mean? You got to tell me first. Paul says, let's not be ignorant. Now, there's different types of ignorant. How many of us like being around ignorant people? Probably not. There's different types of ignorance, okay? When Paul is saying agneo and he's saying don't be uninformed, don't be, the Greek word agneo, A-G-N-E-O, which means ignorant, he's not talking about the ignorance of not understanding. Like we can have, we can be ignorant to things in our life. For me, let me tell you, I remember the first time I went to a real Japanese restaurant. I'm not talking about what we all love, Camp I Tokyo. I'm not talking about anything like that, which is incredible and amazing. I remember I was in my 20s and I went there and they brought a warm towel to me, a steaming warm towel. And I looked at that thing I didn't have a clue what to do with it. I'm like, my sinuses are messed up. Like, am I just supposed to breathe this in? Like, 
Do I got some in my tea? I got a booger? Like, what's going on? Like, I'm trying to figure out why this waiter, he's just trying to serve me, and he's holding this white towel out, and he's waiting for me to take it. I don't know what to do. Like, I'm looking. Do I got something on my shirt? Like, what's going on? I'm just, ALL, that's all, mama. Like, you know, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. I don't know what to do with this white towel, but my pride wouldn't let me ask. So I finally take it, and I lay it across my, my pants, soaking wet, and I realize that's probably not where it goes. So I'm just going to sit here until he finally leaves, and then I'm going to throw it back on the table. And then he came back, and I asked, why did you give me that towel? And he said, to wash your hands. Like, this is what you're supposed to do is wipe your hands with this. So I was just ignorant. Now, he probably called me something more than ignorant, and they had a laugh all in my, I don't know what they put in my food. There's probably no telling at that because they were laughing already. But I was just ignorant to what to do with this towel. There are times in our life where we're just ignorant. Those kind of people I don't mind being around. They've just never been exposed to it. But you see, what Paul's talking about, the Greek word agneo, isn't ignorance because they don't know. It's willful ignorance. In other words, they've been exposed to the truth. They've heard the truth. As a matter of fact, they know the truth, but they willfully don't walk in the truth. And so Paul starts out this letter by saying, hey, hey guys, I don't want you to be willfully ignorant You know the truth. I came professing the truth. I pointed you to the truth. I want you to see the truth and live the truth. What you're doing is not the truth. And so he's saying, we don't want you to be willfully ignorant, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. Now imagine Paul. He's gone all over the world. He's helped spread the church through through all the world for the Gentiles. And they're telling him it's not real. That church wouldn't be there if God didn't work through Paul. Like Jesus set up the church. He could have used anybody. But he decided to work through Paul to set that church up. And they're telling him, hey, you're a fake and a fraud. Man, I want to feel like little Max swinging punches when somebody says that to me. And Paul's not doing swinging punches. He's saying, hey, we don't want you to be willfully ignorant about the troubles we experienced in Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. As a matter of fact, we were at the 92nd mark, and we just kept getting haymaker after haymaker after haymaker thrown to us. We didn't even know if we were going to get out of this thing. Paul talks about it later. He's saying we're hard-pressed on every side but not shaken. Like, no matter what, we were at the point of death when we were trying to get to you, Corinth. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that what? We might not rely on ourselves or the information we receive or what somebody else said about me or what somebody else says or what the the test says I am or what everything else in this world says I am. No, no, no. We don't rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that we might de- that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in the answer to the prayers of many. What I love that Paul is doing here and what he's setting the groundwork for and what he's saying is he's looking at the church and saying, listen, when you have willful ignorance, you're peddling a false gospel. It's a false hope. It's a hope that is built on sand. And what we do so many times in our life, and hey, maybe we're not doing this at each other, but don't we do it to God? I know I do. I'm guilty of it. I'll tell him, it's your fault that I'm in this situation. It's your fault that I feel this way. Why would you make me go through this? 
right? I get angry. I feel like I'm punching at you, God. Like, what's going on? Like, I'm punching at you, and I'm walking through that. But what happened in the church is they were doing it to each other, and Paul was saying, hey, you know the truth. Stop doing this. And when you peddle this false truth, and the world sees that you can't even be united together, the world's going to want to have no part of what you've got going. He's actually talking about the hope that I love that he's talking about. Is he's saying literally this is a hope that's been to hell and back for our sake. A hope, a hope that has given us life. A hope that is eternal. A hope that's great. But when we go and we fight each other and we war with each other, just because we don't agree with how somebody should be baptized, like seriously, how somebody should literally go forward and go public, then we end up not being united and the world wants no part of being of it. The world can't see what real hope is laying the groundwork for where we're going so hang in here i'll say it this way when we give a soft serve cotton candy christianity it's the one that's peddled right now to this generation that just walked out of the room and when they go to college they're going to walk away from it because it's feel good that's not what it's about it's about so much more than feeling good it's about having hope eternal it's about experiencing joy it's about having peace no matter what storm comes because I know the storm's going to come. It's about knowing I'm walking into this championship fight and I know the haymakers are going to be thrown at me. But it doesn't matter because it's all about Jesus. It's in him that I'm going to find my hope. So today, that's what I want to talk to and that's what I want to talk to us about is if we want to really level up our relationship with Jesus, we got to see what's going on there. So here's the question I want to ask us because we're going to reach this punch-out phase in our life whenever we've reached this punch-out phase in our life. Where do we look for when we need help? Like, where do we look for when we need help? Because that's what Paul's alluding to. Because the church in Corinth needs help. Whatever's going on in Corinth, they're warring faction. There's actually false prophets and false gospel being peddled inside the church at the time through so much information because people worry more about being accepted instead of worried about peddling the truth and pointing to the truth. My question is, where do we turn and where do we look when we need help? Because all of us, believe it or not, either look to Jesus or look to something else. I'm not perfect at it. I wish I could tell you that in every area of my life that I look to Jesus 100%. He's working on me in that. And I'm willing to bet he's working on you in that. So much so, we know that those things, those false gods that we search after, literally just try to dilute the pain of walking through the season. It just dilutes the haymakers thrown at us. It just dilutes that punch-out battle. It's just something to numb the pain because we can't deal with it anymore, if we're completely honest. Now, we know that, and we call that in the church addiction. Now, we'll say it's a food addiction or alcoholism or, or smoking or or even, uh, believe it or not, you can treat your quiet time as an addiction if it's for the wrong reason and your heart's not in the right place. One of the addictions we'll talk about here in a minute that I've just been, that Jesus has been working on us all on. Now hear me out here. Don't go throwing your phones. I'm, we ain't going to have a phone burning. Let's just make it real right now. This is how I do my business. It's how I do my business. I have to have my phone. But one of the biggest addictions all of us have is this thing right here. We turn to it and we think our hope is found in it. I can just search Google to see what I can find. <laughs> Did you see them on Instagram? I know that's fake. They photoshopped that. Like, I know that ain't their house. There's a backdrop behind them. Like, that ain't their kids. They took 20 takes to get that picture. I know better. Like, that fake status isn't real because I'm by them at the red light and they just gave me the bird. Like, they're not loving Jesus. Like, what's going on? Like, this thing right here can be our addiction. And so, as I was thinking about this and I think about how we at the church attack it, you know, we always love attacking smoking. That's one of the things we always make fun of. 
But I, I would ask you today, on your way home to go get gas, walk inside that store and put this up next to a, a pack of cigarettes and tell me what height it is. Because it's the same height. Tell me how that feels in your hand like a pack of cigarettes. It's smooth. It's easy. And where do you put this normally? In your pocket. Just like those cigarettes. So maybe there's something more that you're turning to that's not the truth and the hope of the gospel. And I'm not telling you to go against your phone and burn it. Hey, I'm telling you, I have to have it for business. I'm not going to be in business long in real estate if I don't have my phone. But what I am telling you and what Paul is pointing out to the church here is they're looking to a false God. They're looking to a false hope because they don't know where their help really comes from. He's saying that it comes from God. And so what we're doing is we're laying the groundwork for this because here's the thing. As we go into the song of ascents and we go to Psalm 120 and Psalm 121 as we read through those here in just a moment, we have to lay the groundwork because we have to see where Paul is in this punch-out phase because Psalm 120 is going to talk about it perfectly. So let me tell you about these songs of ascent. If you have your Bible and you're there, it's in Psalm 120 and Psalm 121. These songs of ascent literally mean ascent to go up. So what happened is every year there are three feast festivals in, in Israel, three feast festivals in the Jewish culture where all Jews have to go to Jerusalem, okay? We know them as the festival of Pentecost, the festival of Passover, and we know it as the festival of tabernacles. Those three festivals, every Jew had to go to Jerusalem. And no matter where you are in the world, to get to Jerusalem, you got to go up. Because it's, in, it's surrounded by hills. It's on the top of a hill. And Jerusalem to the Jewish culture actually means the city of peace. So they had to walk up this hill all the time to their city of peace. To find their peace, they had to go uphill. So many times we don't want that, right? We only want peace when we're, we can lay down and relax. But actually to have peace, we got to go uphill sometimes. And so what would happen is these, these 14 psalms were written. And all of the Jewish people would sing these songs as they went up the mountain. On their way to Jerusalem. And the reason they would sing these songs is, is these roads were dangerous. The road to get there was dangerous. As a matter of fact, what would happen is uh, there would be animals <laughs> scurrying along the road. That dog would be like, you know, getting behind you, making fun of you like duck hunt. And he would be behind you. There would be animals. There would be bears. There would be lions. There would be things that could attack you. Folks didn't have lodging, so they just stayed out in the open. We call that camping in nowadays world. Like, so in other words, they had the RV hung out there in the back. <laughs> you know, they had the things rocking and rolling. People would do that on the way up the mountain. But also, we know how dangerous these roads were because Jesus even told a story but the opposite way going away from Jerusalem remember he said someone was on the road to, from Jerusalem to Jericho and he was robbed beaten and stripped naked by thieves and there was a good Samaritan who came along to help him that's the same road that the people the Jewish people would have walked on to go up to Jerusalem very dangerous road and so to keep their mind off of all this information that was drowning them they had to know where their help came from so they would sing these songs as they went up the mountain and I think about this, and we're about to go into camp season for everything in church world. You call it camp season in the summer. And it makes me think about that in youth camp. Or it makes me think about that in teen culture as they get to championships. What happens is all these different individuals come from, have different identities and look different until they meld together over one thing. And they become unified over one thing. Most of the time, it's what? A song. Usually there's a song, there is something that they can rally around because when they go to camp, you've got the different personalities. This person's mad, this person's angry, this person's sold out. But what ends up happening is they usually point back to a song in a service that they responded to. 
A team does the same thing. In practice, they practice with music most of the time. And they can point back to this song that unifies us. That's why if you watch the NBA or you watch basketball, you hear them playing songs when the offense is on the court because that song is unifying them. There's something about song. There's something about music that unifies you. So what I think is so beautiful is one day in heaven, we're all going to be singing. But I can imagine if I was a Jewish person and I saw a bear run across <laughs> And I know it's not Yogi. Like, I would be so scared. I saw a bear run across me. But I heard someone singing song of ascent. Man, I could join in with them. And I want to find where they are, right? And I want to keep walking where they are because I know there's somebody else out there besides me. I'm connecting. And so these were the songs of ascent that happened. Now, there are 14 of them. They were written by David, Solomon, and King Hezekiah, we believe. Uh, and they're spread out, and most of them will say the ones of Solomon that he wrote. But today we're going to be talking through what we believe that David wrote. And what ends up happening is so many times, like I said, as we start this off, we have to know where our help comes from. And so as David reads, as I read Psalm 120, I want you to have the perspective of what Paul walked into in the church in Corinth. The reason we laid the groundwork for that is I believe so many times in our life we forget the heroes of the faith walk through the punch out. When we read Psalm 120, realize right here where it is that this is exactly what Paul felt like as he walked into the church in Corinth. So if you got your Bible, we're going to pick up Psalm 120 right now. And here it is, verse 1. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and deceitful tongues. Right? This is Paul. Paul's probably singing this all the way to that letter to Corinth, right? And it says this, what will he do to you? And what more besides you deceitful tongue? He will punish you with the warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom bush. Exciting, right? Who's got the broom bush? I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's what it is like. That's exciting. Let Debbie Downer, but we're going to get through all of them. But I'm going to get you to circle two things here in verse 5 because we're going to come back to it. We're going to circle back around to that. Uh, verse 5 says this. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshach, circle that, we're going to come back to that, write that down. <clears throat> that I live among the tents of Kedar, circle that, we're going to come back around to that. Too long I have lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Now, if there's anything that could paint a picture of where Paul is at this moment, that's where Paul was. He was like, I go to church and I'm for peace and these people just want to war with me. Hey, maybe it's not church, maybe it's the workplace, maybe it's your home life. You just want peace at home, but instead all you've got is, seems like hell and fury. No matter what you do, it's just hell. And that's not what Jesus, is, he died to give you. He died to give you something more than that. So, I told you we're going to circle back to verse 5. So, Meshach, and that's my down south way to saying it. It might be Meshach. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm learning Hebrew, but I don't know it, so hang in here, Meshach. So, let me tell you what Meshach means. Meshech means barbarian in Hebrew. <laughs> or in our terms, hillbilly. Hang in here with me. I'm going to tell you what's happening there. So a hillbilly. So the people of Meshech, when, when Israel was taken into captivity by Babylon, the people of Meshech were spread among the hills and the mountains. And what would end up happening is they were warriors and they were known for their fighting skills. And so they were spread across the mountains, and what they would do is have little skirmishes all the time and bother the Babylonians all the time. But the reason that it's important to know who Meshech is is because we know them as the forefathers of Gog and Magog. 
You say, how do I know those terms? Yes, I know. Well, this is end times prophecy. You hear about this. Remember, we've talked about it in Ezekiel before. But if you ever want to learn about Gog and Magog in Ezekiel and Revelations and end times prophecy, these are the warriors that will attack Israel after three and a half years of peace to start, start the tribulation. So the reason that it's important is David is saying, woe to me that I'm among the people of war. And what's happening with the people that don't want peace, the people who want to fight all the time, the people who are pushing back all the time, what is it preventing me from doing? Well, remember I told you to circle Kadar. Let me tell you what Kadar means. Kadar are people who are a nomadic people. They have no place. They set up tents everywhere they go because they have no home. If you want to dive into a little bit further, they're the second son of Ishmael. You can look that up later. But the second son of Ishmael, and Ishmael we know is the father of the Islamic faith, and that is where Abraham, the father of our faith, that is his son that he had illegitimately. And Kadar was supposed to be a son that had no home. And the reason that that matters is because Kadar literally means to be cut off from true worship with God. To be cut off from true worship with God. So David is saying, because I'm with people who don't want peace and instead choose war all the time and want to go to battle all the time for the wrong reasons... I'm cut off from the true worship of God, and I have no home. You ever feel like that? Do you think Paul felt like that inside the church? That's the thing that we can't ever have at church. Usually we have our welcome home sign up here. That's why we say welcome home. This has to be a place that feels like home constantly to anyone and everyone. We can't be known as the ones that are warring with each other. We have to be the ones that are known as peace. And it's not because of our peace, because we couldn't achieve peace on our own. It's because the peace that comes from above, because we're not willfully ignorant to the hope that is Jesus Christ, the truth. And so for me and for us, what we have to understand is this song of ascent. That's the first song of ascent at the bottom of the hill. Woe to all you crazy people. I'm going up to Jerusalem, right? Like, I can't deal with y'all barbarians. Now, if a bear comes, I'm going to holler at you, hillbilly. But, like, if something happens, like, I got to deal with y'all. I'm not going to be cut off from the worship of God anymore. I'm going to level up and go up this mountain, and I'm going to take step by step to get up there because I know that as I do that, I'm going to be all God created me to be. And I'm going to be able to walk in unity. I heard a missionary say it this way, and this is something that Jesus has just been reminding me as we walk in this series, Level Up, because we're going to be talking about this worship, talking about the worship that we can have a lot. It's easy for me to sing a song in the new day sun, but give me a song at midnight when I can't sleep. Easy to sing a song in the new day sun, when it all seems good, and you're planning out lunch and dinner, and you're excited, but when I can't sleep at midnight, that's when I need a song from the Lord. That's when I need to hear it, because that's when I know I can experience peace. That's when I know I can rest. I need a song at midnight. I need a song all the time, but it's easy for me to fake a song at noontime. <laughs> it ain't at midnight. Let me put it to you that way, in other words. So in this distress, in this calling, that's exactly what we're doing, is we're starting this mountain, up this mountain in this distressful time in Psalm 120. And so we're going to pick up now to what David responds, and Psalm 121 verse 1 says this, something that we know so well. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. He's not throwing shade at you. He's just shade at your hand. I'm old. That's such a pastor dad joke. But anyway, uh, he's, he, he's your shade 
at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Now, you see, Dave is not just talking to us here. He's talking to himself. He's reminding his soul who his help comes from. And so today, if you're in the middle of this punch out, I want you to be reminded where your help comes from. I want you to be reminded of that because what I want to share with you in Psalm 121 is this. Some things that we can do when we face this punch out. Because as you saw with that punch out, it can seem crazy and the enemy can be enemy can be bigger than you. It can feel like it's haymaker after haymaker after haymaker. You can be hard pressed on every side. It can be everything and it seems like everything in this world is against you. And I've told you this before. If you're a Christian, it is. This world can't accept what you've got because what we have is not of this world. So understand the world's going to keep throwing punch out after punch out after punch out against you. So what in the world can we do to set ourselves up when we face the punch out? So hang in here with me. Get ready to probably laugh a lot. No, I'm not going to do anything crazy, but maybe I am. So uh, number one, if you, if you see that you're expecting the punch out and you're in the punch out, the number one thing I want you to see in Psalm 120 and 121 happens in verse 1 and 2, and it's this. Have your eyes up. Have your eyes up. You got to have your eyes up. If you've ever been to boxing, if you've ever been to boxing, normally when you have your stance, the first thing they tell you is to keep your eyes up. You got to have your eyes above your gloves. Maybe you're in your 1940s stance and you like doing it this way. I don't know. Whatever it is, you got to have your eyes above your gloves. So many times in our life, we got to understand as we're facing the punch out, we got to have our eyes up. David said, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. It's up. I got to understand that what I have is up. And what God was teaching me and showing me through this is the reason that we look up is the God that reigns below, uh, excuse me, the God that reigns above is the God that sustains below. So many times in our life, what we have to understand is if God reigns over all, he will sustain us below no matter what's being thrown at us. And so we have to keep our eyes up to what's happening. We've got to keep our eyes up to what's coming to us. And so for each and every one of us, I want to ask you, what in your life is preventing you from keeping your eyes up? Maybe I'll show you. What in your life is preventing you from keeping your eyes up? Guilty. I'm guilty too. I'm not perfect at this. I'm guilty too. We all are. But this is the information that can drown us out when we're really thirsty for the truth. The truth is found in God's word, right? That's why I'm glad we do things digitally. It's awesome. But we got to also remember where we are with that. So number one, if you're, when we're about to face the punch out, what you got to do and we got to know is we got to keep our eyes up. So answer that question with yourself is what is preventing you from keeping your eyes up? And I'm not the one judging you. I'm not the one convicting you. I don't have any, I don't have a leg to stand on here because I'm not perfect at this. But I will tell you, maybe Jesus is telling you something right now that's preventing you from, from keeping your eyes up and looking to him that is the truth. I'm just going to ask you to respond to it whenever that happens. Respond to it. I know that we're all going to walk through it together with you. Number two, when you're facing the punch out, you not only have to keep your eyes up, but there's this thing in boxing. And as you can see, I'm not great at it as I kick things up. But usually if you've ever gone to a boxing training center, there's usually a line down the center outside the ring. There's usually like this tape outside the ring. And what ends up happening is they call it straddling the center line and your feet have to straddle the center line. If you do karate, you do any of those things, I'm not going to Elvis it. That would be funny. I'll probably split my pants. Uh, so like if you're in boxing or whatever, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you've got to straddle the center line. So number two, you've got to keep your feet, your feet center. You've got to keep your feet center. So you've got to keep your eyes up and your feet center. And usually as you're keeping your feet center, 
you know that if you do that, you've got the right balance. So what does verse 3 and 4 say about keeping our feet centered? Because a boxer has to be centered and have right balance. Where 3 and 4 says that God will do more. What does God do for us? He will not let our foot slip. He watches over us. He will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches Israel will neither sleep nor slumber. So he keeps our feet centered. What I love about this psalm in Psalm 121 is as David is saying that and the solid ground that he walks on, he's on the shakiest ground of the world. So many times in our life when we feel like we're in a crazy situation and we're walking up the mountain, remember we talked about it last week. All that's going to be left is the thing when this world is shaking us is the thing that can't be shaken. It's where our foundation is found. And so David in this moment is saying, how I keep my feet center is I know the solid ground that I'm standing on. The solid ground that I'm standing on. So I've got to keep my feet center and my eyes up. Because I know that this thing's going to be hitting me real hard. It's my best ace venture. Like I just know that this thing's going to be hitting me real hard. So I've got to be ready. I've got to keep my eyes up so that I'm ready to go. Because if I'm ready to go, if I'm like this, man, it's just going to be one boom. And like I'm done, right? Like, like, you know, it's just going to be bad, 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 bad. I'm going to be done. So i got to keep my eyes up and my feet centered. What I love that David is saying right here as well as us is what I love and where we can have rest in our life is this, that Jesus has been reminding me of this, and I wish I could tell you I was perfect at it again. And Jesus has been working with me. If you're worrisome or you have anxiety or if you're walking through things like this, I've just been speaking this voice over my life, and I'll be praying this over you as well. He who watches over you will not slumber. You know why that's important as you keep your feet centered? <clears throat> because if he is a 24-7 God that never sleeps, that means I can sleep. That means that that midnight song, I can really sleep. And I can talk about how much of a lovely day it's been because I can sleep. So if you're staying up at night and you can't sleep, worry wart right here. I study and I, I struggle with that. Understand God's not sleeping so that you can. The only way you have that is if your feet is center and on solid ground. So the question I would ask you if, with your feet being center is this, because sometimes our rest is an indication of our soul is, where are we striving in our life to keep up an image? Where are we striving in our life to keep up an image instead of resting to be all God called us to be? Where are we striving in life to keep up an image? Where are we trying to keep our online presence up? Or, or where are we trying to do so many things to be something that God didn't create us to be? Although it could be a good thing, it's not the thing that God created you to be. Where are we in our life striving to keep up an image that Jesus died to give us rest from? That Jesus died so that we can be all he created us to be so that we can have rest? Because in that work and if that strife, all you're doing is running in circles at the bottom of the mountain. And you're going to get punched out. So... Where in your life is Jesus showing you that? Number three, reach. Reach. So we got to keep our eyes up, our feet center. Most of the time in boxing, the one with the, the longest reach has the highest advantage to win, the highest probability to win. We can see in verse five and six, it says this. It says, the Lord will watch over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. So when we look at this and we see that our right hand, right hand, sorry for those who are left-handed, right hand is the power and authority hand. That is to the Jewish people and to God, that is his hand of power and authority, his hand of assurance. That's why Jesus sits at the right hand of God, right? So like if you're in your boxing stance, your right hand's your dominant hand. If you're trying to be feet center and you've got this, you want to make sure you have the right reach, but also you want to make sure that your hands are in the right position and your right hand is ready to go. Well, your reach matters for that because, you know, I always think of Tom and Jerry cartoons when I think of reach. 
and how Tom would, you know, his, his little hand out, and then, you know, the little mouse would be just trying to get the punch, and he couldn't because his reach was not long enough. So let me ask you this in your life, and, and, and what God, David is trying to say us and what Jesus is trying to show us right here. Nothing in this world can outreach the reach of the Creator. Nothing this world will ever throw at you can outreach his reach. His reach, if he's the God above that reigns above and sustains below, there's nothing on this world that can take us away from his reach if we've confessed him as Lord and Savior. Because we're in his hand, he is holding us. So what I would ask you in this moment is, as he is holding and reaching us is, what in your life as you're getting in the stance and you think you've got everything going on, you got my eyes centered, my feet centered, got my eyes up, ready to fight, man, like I'm ready to go. You're ready to make it happen. And you look and you're like, I've got the reach. Well, what in your life is preventing you from resting in God's reach? Because you're worried about what's in your reach. Because if you just worry about what's in your reach and you worry about what's in your hands, where you can get stuck as you forget who is holding you. And it ain't that champion you're fighting in that 90-second fight. It's something that's so much greater. So in your life, what's your worry? That's what's in your reach instead of being and resting in God's reach. And last but not least, guard. So once you've got your eyes up, you got your feet centered, you know that you've got the bigger reach. You've got to be ready to guard because you're in the right stance. You're in the right posture. You've got to be ready to guard. And it says this in verse 7 and 8, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going both now and and forevermore. When you guard in boxing, you protect yourself. That is how you protect yourself from the attacks of the enemy. And so for our life, I wonder, I wonder where we can struggle with this because we don't have our eyes up. We don't have our feet on solid ground. We forget whose reach we set in. And so our soul is always weary. Our soul should have rest. Rest. And if I'm trying to hold everything in my hand and my eyes are down, and I'm, I'm, you know, not on my solid ground. That hurt, but it is what it is. Like, I'm on my solid ground. That's not a dance move, but it might be. I don't know. Uh, like, I'm not on my solid ground. What I'm doing is I'm trying to control what's in my reach. In other words, Jesus didn't die that for us to have closed fists and closed hands so that we can fight back at people because he's already won the war and he's actually already overcome the battle. We're supposed to be open-handed in everything that we do. And so as we have this guard, our soul can't be at rest if we're just trying to hang on to things and we're just clenching like this, like our soul is weary. Our soul can't be healthy. Our soul can't have rest. What is it that Jesus said? Come to me, all you are, 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 are labor, have labor and heavy labor, have burdens and heavy laden. There we go. Come to me and I will give you rest. Rest. I will give you rest. So I want to ask you this. How much time have you given your soul to rest because you know who guards you? How much time have you given your soul to rest? We can do all these things and we can do a lot of things. But if our soul isn't rested, it doesn't really matter. Because here's the thing. What the eyes up, the feet center, having the best reach and being ready to guard yourself does is it puts you in the right posture for something greater. And how did David have something greater? How did, how did Paul point to something greater? It's in how they worship. These songs of ascent were songs of worship. They were worship. They were talking about the good times and the bad times. 
times. They were talking about all the things. They were reminding their soul to rest. They were reminded, hey, even though we're facing obstacles, God has delivered us. He will deliver us again. And so what we have to do is we have to understand if we really want to level up our relationship, we've got to be built on the solid foundation of loving God and loving others. And we've got to come out of that and know that no matter what storm comes our way, we're going to survive it. But our next step up that mountain from that is in how we worship. Do we worship right? Do we have the right posture? Because if my eyes up and I have my feet center, I know whose reach I'm in and I know who's guarding me, then I'm telling you right now I can sing a song. Because I know it doesn't matter what's going to happen. It doesn't matter when I walk out that door what's going to happen to me because I can sing a song of joy because I know who holds me. I know where I'm going and I know he's going to deliver me. And it may not be in my time and it may not be the way that I want it, but I'm telling you right now he's going to come through because he's a God who says he'll come through. He's going to work everything out for his glory and my good. And so I'm just asking you today, how's your worship? How's your worship? What I mean by that isn't how great you sing, although we have some amazing folks who are just gifted and talented that can sing and can play instruments, and I can play tambourine maybe. I don't know. I can do something. It's how you live your life. Your life is an act of worship. And how you live your life is an act of worship is you keep your eyes up to know where your help comes from. You keep your feet grounded on the center line and you know that he is your foundation and he is your truth and you know that no matter what is in my reach it's not about what's in my reach it's about what he get, puts into my hands to use for his glory and I'm open-handed in everything that I do that I know that he will be guarding me no matter what even when haymaker after haymaker after haymaker of the enemy is thrown because he said it is finished it doesn't matter that thing ain't gonna land whether I'm on second 15 or second 93. And so I'm going to ask as we get ready to worship here in a minute, will we live out a life of worship like that? Because I'm telling you all of these things and I'm, I'm walking with you in all these things and I'm telling you about how important it is to have great worship. But the thing is, to have great worship and, and to understand worship, we've got to be in a place to where we have a relationship with the Creator. You see, the reason we need to have a relationship with the Creator and the reason we have a relationship with him is so that we can experience true worship, so that we can experience life. Because see, all of us, because of sin, we're never going to beat old Mr. Champ there, Mr. Tyson or whoever it was that was going to punch us out. We were all destined for death. Paul even talked about it in 2 Corinthians. We thought we were on the doorstep of death. And all of us, because of our sins, that is our sentence. Our sentence is death, not life, not peace, not anything eternal. Our sentence is death. And it doesn't matter how great our stance is. It doesn't matter how much training we do. We can never do anything to earn the peace that only Jesus can give us. And because we were separated from God, because there was no way that we could earn or work our way there, God in his loving grace and mercy created a way by sending down his son to live the perfect life we couldn't live. Die the death we deserved for that sin. So he's already died the death sentence for us, but he loves us enough not to stay dead. He rose again on the third day so that we can experience life and experience it in the full, so that we can have heaven on earth right now. You see, David in the Old Testament, when that Ark of the Covenant came in, said, if you think I'm dancing now, just wait till I get to heaven to be dancing, and you'll see what real worship looks like. See, Jesus said, no, 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 no. You don't have to wait for real worship. You just got to receive me. And when you receive me, you can worship like heaven right now. You can see that this world is going to throw everything in the, that it can at you because this world can't receive what I give. This world's not going to because I'm not of this world, but you can. This world will never offer you. It will leave you unsatisfied, deluded. It'll be like this little thing that we worship in our hands. 
Because what always happens with these little things is always a new version. There's always another thousand dollars to spend on them, isn't it? You see, Jesus said, you don't have to worry about all of that if you'll just come to me and receive me. It says it this way in Romans 10, 13. For everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you're looking to experience true peace in your life, call on the name of the Lord. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. We do this every week so that we can point them to you because it's not about everything. We have a lot of fun here and, and, and we can get serious at times, but what we want for you more than anything is to understand that the truth will set you free and that truth is Jesus Christ and that you can find hope and that hope has a name and his name is Jesus. But the thing is, we can't receive him for you. We can tell you about him all day long. We can show you what the truth is. As a matter of fact, we can live out the truth, but we don't want you to live in willful ignorance anymore. We want you to respond and receive. So right here in a moment, every head's going to be bowed and every eye's going to be closed. And we're about to pray out loud. And it's not the words of this prayer that saves you. It's not some special formula that saves you. It's faith. Faith that Jesus is who he says he is. That even though I'm in the middle of this punch out, that I don't even have to worry about it because he's already defeated it. It's faith that Jesus came down and lived the life for us, died the death for us, loved us enough not to stay dead. It's receiving him as your Lord and Savior that will set you free. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, we're going to pray together for the benefit of those coming to Jesus for the first time. Repeat after me, dear Jesus. I believe I'm a sinner separated from you. I believe you came to this earth, lived the life that I couldn't live, died the death I deserve for my sins on the cross, but loved me enough not to stay dead, but rose again so that I may have life. Come take over my life, Lord. Teach me to follow you step by step the rest of my life, the best way I know how. And with every head bow and every eye closed, if for the first time you can say that you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm gonna count to three and I'm gonna ask you to respond. One, two, three. If it's the first time that you can say that you've given your life to Jesus, that you've received the gift of salvation that only he can give. If you're watching online, there's ways that you can respond as well. What you can do is you can you can comment on Facebook. You can reach out to us at prayer at divine.tv. You can, you can call us, text us, email us, whatever you got to do. Our phone number is 864-580-6698. No matter where you are, no matter what you think you are in the punch out, I want you to know that Jesus has come to set you free. Jesus said it is finished on the cross. You can stop working. You can stop striving. You can stop trying to do it on your own. But the one way that you can respond is by receiving him. And if you've received him as your Lord and Savior, I want to tell you today, the one way that you can take a next step is by responding in your worship. You can have the proper posture of worship. And I'm telling you, you will experience peace like never before. And you will experience the peace that he died to give you. So we're about to worship here in just a moment. I'm going to ask everyone now if you'll stand to your feet. And I'm just going to ask you, will you be in this moment and worship like you've never worshiped? see him. I'm not telling you there's a formula for this. I'm just going to ask you to just be and rest in him in this moment as we sing and celebrate Jesus, our risen King.
to pass.
All right, as we close up, as always, everybody, let's lock it up and pray. Uh, and in this moment, I'm just going to ask, uh, as we get to come together as a family, that we live our lives out this week as an act of worship. No matter what we face, we keep our eyes up. We know where our feet are found. We know who holds us in his hand. And we know who's going to God lead us and protect us no matter what. And you know what? In a world, we talked about this last week, but in a world filled with inauthentic things, in a world that's so full of information and artificial, the authenticity of your faith will be so attractive that you won't. It, it, Jesus is going to move in that, and you can't help but share it with him how you live your life. So as I pray, that's what I'm going to pray over us this week. And we're going to come back here and have an awesome week next week. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you again for this time. Thank you again that... That, that you came and, and, and you allowed us to be able to, to have eternity with you. You allowed us to experience life. You allowed us to experience peace. You allowed us to no longer strive to be what we think we need to be, but instead rest in being who you created us to be. So Jesus, this week, as you are on the move and Jesus, as you are working all around us, I pray that we would live our lives as an act of worship and that we would join you in the work that you are doing and that we would that others would see you so clearly inside of us and they couldn't help but respond. And Jesus, I pray that you would bring us back here next week, worshiping, shouting, and having joy because we saw you do something like never before. When we think we're in the middle of the punch out, Jesus, let us remember where our help comes from. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to do this. It's in your wonderful, your precious, your holy name we pray. Amen. Come back next week and join us as we get to hang out with our next week of Level Up might be some guys in a go-kart. I'm just saying.